Thank you, Tanya and Mike, for that ministry music, and thank you to each one that's participated in our service this evening. Thank you for coming back and being here on a beautiful night on a holiday weekend. I thank you for your faithfulness and your committedness. One of the things that our family does when it gets together is we discuss some of the things that I've been talking about. And so when Sarah and Pastor Dave come over, uh, we sometimes talk about this series on postmodernism. And Sarah's been very attuned to listening to different things and uh, picking out these uh, postmodern ideas. If you remember, I talked about postmodernism and history. And that uh, history is, is perceived as a view as opposed to, to facts. And uh, you really study different people's views of history rather than study the facts of history. Uh, she pointed out to me that there's a Broadway musical entitled Wicked. It is a new take on The Wizard of Oz. It's uh, from the witches... Uh, from the, witch, the Wicked Witch of the North, and that she's not so wicked after all. Uh, she's just misunderstood. And uh, there is a song from this Broadway musical that the wizard sings, and I'd just like to, you to listen to some of the lyrics because it, it really uh, does fit in with what I've been uh, saying these last few weeks and gives you an idea of how this, in fact, is influencing our pop culture uh, listen to these words. See, I never had a family of my own, so I guess I just wanted to give the citizens of Oz everything. So you lied to them. Don't Where I'm from, we believe all sorts of things that aren't true. We call it history. A man's called a traitor, or a liberator, a rich man's a thief. Or philanthropist is one a crusader or ruthless invader. It's all in which label is able to persist. There are precious. Okay, it's all in which label is able to persist. It's the the unanimous viewpoint. Okay, so where he comes from, he says that uh, truth is more a myth and fable. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at the Word of God. And emphasizing the fact that all truth resides with God. The introduction, D.A. Carson has said that a new systematic theology needs to be written for every generation. Not because the word of God changes, but the questions change. That the issues change from one generation to generation. And then, uh, these are my words, not uh, D.A. Carson. This requires us to look at the Bible in new ways in order to address the issues 
and to answer the questions of our day. This is what should be meant when we talk about making the Bible relevant. Uh, in some ways, I don't like that term, making the Bible relevant. It's as though uh, we are forcing relevance upon the Bible. We don't make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. What we do is demonstrate the Bible's relevance. What we do is show how the Bible addresses the issues of our day. The Bible is current. The Bible is applicable today. The Bible is not antiquated. The Bible is not outmoded, outdated, to be put on a shelf, but rather speaks to the very issues of today. And that is what I mean when I talk about making the Bible relevant and which and what is so important that people understand that the issues of our day are addressed in the Word of God. And we have to be very, very careful as Christians that we don't just address issues that no longer are being raised, that, that people aren't talking about. If we aren't careful, it's easy for us to live in the 15 and 1600s and talk about the Reformation, and uh, the issues of the Reformation are long gone. Uh, they uh, aren't the issues of today. So, First Chronicles 13, excuse me, 12:32 is a verse that comes in the section of David's mighty men about how he was surrounded by mighty warriors. And in that particular section, it says this: And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times, with knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. So David had at his disposal 200 individuals who came from the tribe of Issachar. And what they were noted for was not their military prowess. If you read the chapter, most of these people are known for their military prowess, their ability with a slingshot, their ability with an arrow, uh, their ability to fight. But these 200 weren't known for their military prowess. What they were known for is the wisdom and advice and counsel that they were able to give David. And what, what made them so valuable was they understood the times. They understood what was taking place in the nation of Israel. They understood the kingship. They understood the difficulties that came in establishing David's throne. They had awareness of other uh, military leaders and of nations that would threaten. They understood the period of time in which they lived, and not only that, they could give David good counsel as what he should do, how he should respond, what action he should take. We need those kind of people today. People that understand the day and age in which we live and can speak knowledgeably as to how we should respond to the issues of our day, the threats that come upon us. <coughs> Excuse me. And the kingdom of God. Having said that, our theme for tonight is that postmodernism is bringing a fresh challenge to the Christian faith with its questions concerning, concerning truth. If you remember, in postmodernism and in pluralism, Truth exists everywhere in part and nowhere in a whole. There is no one place you can go for all the truth, and there is no place where some truth 
does not exist. And so, in epistemology, which is a means of knowing truth, the way that you know truth in postmodernism is very syncretistic. You, you bring together people from varying backgrounds, varying viewpoints. You try to collect the knowledge that they possess. And you try to sift through what is being said. And the more input you have, the more give and take, the closer you arrive at, quote unquote, the truth. The closer you will get to a true understanding of any one thing. So truth exists nowhere as a whole and uh, is not void anywhere. Absolute tr truth does exist in concept. Uh, the idea is that there is an absolute truth, we just can't know it. And uh, it doesn't exist uh, for us in that way. Well, tonight, we want to look at a Christian response. And we're to see that, first of all, God knows all truth. All truth resides with God. There is a place where absolute truth is manifested. And that is in the person of God. God knows all things. He is aware of all things. The scripture says he even knows our thoughts afar off. Even before they come to us, God knows what we're going to think before we know what we're going to think. That's Psalm 139. God is aware of all things. And that's what we think of most often when we talk about God's omniscience. God's omniscience. God's all-knowing. He is aware of all things. But not only does he cognitively know and aware of all things, but he actually has an understanding of all things. And so we refer to God as all wise. All wise. Meaning that God not only is aware of all things, but he has absolute wisdom in regard to all things. He knows what to do about the things that he's aware of. He knows how to respond to the things that he is aware of. Plus, he is all wise in knowing things that, that we don't know. God not only knows what is, he knows what could be. He not only knows what he did, he knows what he did not do. He knows every alternative. He knows all the options. Sometimes in life we can think of two or three. For God, they were myriad. He knew all the different ways that he could make this creation. He knew that it could exist with evil and without evil. And all that he was cognizant aware of and in his wisdom he did the right thing. So God is all-knowing, God is all-wise, and therefore God is also truthful. Truthful. What he reveals to us is truth. So, God knows all truth. Secondly, God is the source of all truth. Uh, we know what is true because God teaches us about truth. And God reveals to us truth. And so Jesus came proclaiming truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, 
John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, and truth. But now, this is what I want to focus on tonight. And that is, God has partially revealed the truth to us in the Bible. God has partially revealed the truth to us in the Bible. I appreciate very much last Sunday night that I was not attacked because I said that the Bible does not contain all the truth. All of the Bible is true. But there is truth that is not found in the Bible. Now why I say that is and the reason I think that many of you didn't get too upset with me is that you trust me. And you'll give me the benefit of the doubt. You'll, you'll give me the opportunity to be heard. But there are a lot of people, if they would stand up and say that, people would be on their case immediately. And the reason I, I say that is because there are a lot of good, conservative evangelical men that are trying to address the issues of postmodernism and because of some of the things they're saying they're getting written off before they're before they're heard before before they have an opportunity to explain themselves uh, before they have the opportunity to unpack what they are saying what initially may sound very controversial after I'm done tonight you're going to realize it's not controversial at all and you always thought this but we're thinking about things in a new way uh, in modernism, the Bible was under attack. And so, there was a, a desire to defend the Bible. Uh, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is inspired, meaning it comes from God. The Bible is inerrant, meaning without word. It, it is infallible, meaning that it speaks authoritatively in every area in which it, it speaks and does so without mistake. So, we have really driven home the idea that the Bible is true. And I hope that you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Amen, the Bible is true. Because yes, that is what we believe. The Bible is true. But what we have to be careful of as Christians is bibliolatry. And that is the worship of the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God who gave us the Bible. And that's an important distinction to maintain. So, a key verse for understanding the Bible is given to us in Deuteronomy 29, 29. NIV, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. NAS, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. King James, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. There are two categories that spiritual realities fall into. They are referred to as secret things and revealed things. So, what are we to understand about secret things? Those, the secret things are those mysteries which are hidden from us. The secret things are things that God never intended us to know. They are, they are secret they are secret. They are not under our purview. They are not 
for us to see. It's kind of like a diary where uh, people have things that they have written that they don't intend anybody else to know, anybody else to see. There are things that God does not intend us to know right now. And these secret things we cannot know. For the word secret means not only are they not revealed, but they are, are true mysteries. They are mysteries. And the way in which the, the, the uh, scripture uses the word mystery, it's like a mystery religion. That the only way that you can know it is to become a part of it. And here it's alluding to the day in which we are ultimately in the presence of God and then we're going to know all things even as we are fully known. But that doesn't happen now. That doesn't happen now. The secret things are things which are the sole providence of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to, belong to the Lord our God. So, as we think about this book, as we think about the Bible, these are the revealed things. These are the things which God told us. And the Bible itself tells us that there are things that God has not revealed in this book. There are things about God, about his person, about his actions, about what he does, that we cannot know and were never intended to know. Now that fits very well with postmodernism and is helpful in our understanding of modernism. Because modernism tended to think that you could know everything. And there wasn't anything that was beyond your purview. It was just a matter of more study. It was a matter of another scientific uh, theory. But eventually, you would know everything. And that has influenced the church many times in which people have sought to give answers to truth that the Bible itself doesn't give answers to. And uh, I have used this illustration in the past. Many of you have heard it. But uh, uh, my uh, former president of the seminary when I was uh, attending there uh, was uh, Alan McRae. And Alan McRae's area of specialty, if you will, uh, was... Uh, prophetic portions of scripture. Uh, he is the one who uh, wrote the study notes in the New School for the Bible example for the book of Daniel. And, and uh, kind of known as a, as a uh, prophecy uh, specialist, if you will, and uh, knew many ancient languages. But anyway, he was very disciplined, though, when it came to uh, prophecy conferences and answering questions. And he went to a prophecy conference at one point and uh, opened it up for question and answers and a lady asked him a question and he said, I'm sorry, I don't know, the Bible really doesn't tell us that. And she asked another question and said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know, the Bible doesn't give us the answer either. And uh, asked a third question and said, I'm sorry, I don't know, uh, the Bible is not clear about that. And she became frustrated and she said, Dr. McRae, the speaker we had last year, answered all those questions. And he said, well then you should have written it down. And uh, the point is, uh, she asked the questions because it was unsatisfying to her. She realized, ultimately, that it was that man's opinion. And she wanted Dr. McRae's opinion on these things that the Bible doesn't address. There are many, many things that the Bible doesn't address that uh, we would like to know, that we don't know. 
the best book that I have ever read on evil, and I did a series from it on Sunday nights, was the, uh, entitled The God I Don't Understand. Because it begins with an acknowledgement that we don't know why God allows evil. We don't know. We know that God is all-loving, and we know that God is all-powerful. And so the age-old question is, if God is all-powerful, and God is all-loving, then why does evil exist? If evil exists, either God is not loving, or God is not all-powerful. That's a very modern premise. That's a very modern thought. The postmodern thought is, we don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery. It's not revealed. And in postmodernism, that's a very acceptable answer. We don't know. And it's also a very biblical answer. We don't know. But we do know that one day it will be removed. We do know that one, one day God is going to set all these things right. And that's our hope. And that's, that's our confidence. So application. Under D on page 2. There are spiritual mysteries that we do not know. We're never intended to know. And it is sinful for us to devise a means of trying to know them. Deuteronomy 18. When you enter the land your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. And then notice this. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens. You see, these are ways in which the religions that surrounded Israel would seek to know truth. They would practice divination. Divination is a way of, of trying to understand the mysteries of God. It may be through in Egypt. Remember, uh, there's an account of uh, a, a cup that Joseph had. A cup that would be used for divination. It could be using uh, the entrails of an animal that is cut up and, and trying to a ascertain uh, these uh, entrails. Or omens. Omens. Such as a blackbird flying uh, over you. Uh, verse 11. A medium. Someone who, who consults the dead, end of verse 11. Uh, people who try to channel people that are dead. And the scripture says all of those are out of bounds. All of those are illegitimate ways and means of trying to know the future. And we could add to that fortune tellers. We could talk about horoscopes tonight. We could, we could talk about tarot cards. There are uh, you know, Ouija boards. We could talk about a host of ways in which people try to find out about things that the Bible doesn't address. And the Word of God condemns every avenue in pursuing truth apart from the Word of God. You shouldn't pursue truth apart from the Word of God. That even includes people who say that they've died and come back from the dead and, and want to tell you about heaven and want to tell you about earth. There is no legitimate means for us today to ascertain truth apart from the Word of God. So there's where we separate 
from the postmodern idea of being syncretistic, of trying to, to glean from the religions about us. We aren't going to look to Buddhism. We're not going to look to Mormonism. We're not going to, to look to spiritism of the African world. We aren't going to look at other religions and try to glean from them elements of truth that we can make a part of our worship and a part of our understanding. Because we believe that all truth resides in God and these other religions don't worship the true and living God. They worship a false God. They are worshiping the truth. So we do not become syncretistic in our understanding of truth. We limit ourselves to this Bible and recognize that in limiting ourselves to this Bible, there are things that we cannot and will not know. So two, Roman numeral two on page three. What are we to understand concerning revealed things? These are things that God intended us to know. But those things which are revealed belong unto us. The revealed things are, are things that God discloses, which we can know. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of, of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. So we're talking about things which eye has not seen, that go beyond experience, ear has not heard, is not passed down from the wisdom of the ages or the sages or the, the great uh, thinkers of the day, uh, nor have entered in the heart of man, philosophy. These are things that God reveals by his Holy Spirit to us in the Bible. That's the only way for them to be known. See, the revealed things are our domain. They belong to us. God intends us to study this book. God intends us to understand its truth. God expects us to labor, to understand fully what this Bible says. I remember on one occasion, a person coming to me and saying, Pastor, do you think God really intends us to understand these things? Talking about some of the things that are revealed in the book of Romans. And I said, if they are revealed, the answer is yes. God intends us to understand the words on this page. He intends for us to labor. These things belong to us. They are part of our domain. It is legitimate for us to ask questions of the Bible. And to explore it fully. And deeply. That's why it's been given to us. They are for our domain. They are the domain of all of God's people. Uh, they belong to us and to our children forever. Forever. That is the aspect of the, the lasting value and duration of the Word of God. They have been given to us for all times. Uh, that is one of the definitions of absolute. Absolute is truth that is true at all times, in all places. In that sense, the Bible is absolute truth. For it is applicable in all times, in all cultures. 
This isn't just the Bible of the Hebrews. This isn't just the Bible of the Israelites. This is the Bible of the Gentiles. It's the Bible of the world. It is God's truth for every period of time in which we live and to every culture on the face of this earth. In that sense, it's absolute. In all that it reveals, it is completely true. Today, the revealed things are given not merely for our information, but rather for our instruction and obedience. They belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. And so, it is absolute in the sense that it is binding. Uh, it is not... Uh, I think of the word it, it, uh, optional. Uh, it isn't well, take it or leave it. It isn't you know the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. Uh, this might be a good thing to do. These are responsibilities that, that we have. So that that sense, the Bible is authoritative. Authoritative. What right do you have to tell me to do? Tell me what to do. The only right I have as a pastor to tell you what to do is that which the Word of God says. I try very, very carefully not to try to make applications that go beyond the Word of God. I know that frustrates some people. Some people would like me to declare so many things, right or wrong, that the Bible doesn't necessarily declare to be right or wrong. I try to stick with the Bible and the application. That this is authoritative. This is the truth. This is what is binding upon us. Binding upon us. And it is the Bible. It is the Bible. It is not an individual. It's not you. It's not me. You don't, I hope, take my word because of who I am. But you take my word if it is in keeping with the word of God. That's why I labor so diligently on Sunday morning, Sunday night, to try to show you where the ideas come from in the text. And if you look at the text and you say, well, I can't see that, then you should not follow it. The authority lies in the text. That is another big difference with uh, postmodernism and modernism. In modernism, the authority lies in the text. In postmodernism, the authority lies in the individual. We have confidence in the individual. Let me give you a, a, a a practical way in which that would work out. If you're talking to a modernist and uh, they question you and they say, are you a, a Calvinist? And uh, you would say, well, no, I, I don't. I'm not a Calvinist. Then we'd say, well, let's go to the Word of God and see what it says. Let's look at the text and, and, and talk about election. Is that what the Scripture teaches or isn't it what the Scripture teaches? And out would come a discussion. Out would come a flowing of many, many Bible verses and a pouring over the text to see whether or not these things are true. In postmodernism, if someone would say, uh, are you a Calvinist? No, I'm not a Calvinist. Oh, so you think you know more than John Calvin. Do you catch the difference? Do you realize how often that happens today? Because that's the postmodern 
mindset. To disagree with John Calvin says, you know more than he does. You know more than he does? Are you more faithful than he was? Are you more committed than he was? It, it is about people rather than objective truth. And we must be careful that we don't put our faith and trust in people. We put our faith and trust in the Word of God. And as we put our faith and trust in the Word of God, we understand the limitations of the Scripture. And uh, the book of Revelation, as you know, says that we are not to take from it nor add to it. In modernism, the concern was taking away from it. In postmodernism, the concern is adding to it. Adding to it. And uh, the church in modernism many times added to the Word of God by going far beyond what the Word of God forbade in forbidding people to do certain things. Added by speculation in areas where the Bible wasn't clear. And somehow that wasn't sinful. The sinful thing was taken away from the Scripture. But it was added to pretty easily. In postmodernism, the emphasis is adding to. Don't dare add to the Word of God. And in that way, it's refreshing, and in that sense, it is helpful. So the challenges are different, to be sure. So tonight, the idea is, yes, this is an authoritative book. Our confidence is in this book and not in people, but we don't worship this book. We worship God. And there are things that God has not told us in this book, and we will not know until we stand in his presence. Uh, we have not only the freedom, but the responsibility to say that. I had a prof at Biblical Seminary, Doc Newman, and uh, he used to give tests, and most of his tests were multiple choice, and he was a very hard grader, because what he would do is he would grade the test, and if you left a question blank and you did not know it, then you lost credit for not knowing the right answer. If you answered the question incorrectly, you got double points off. Because not only did you have, not have the right answer, but you submitted the wrong answer. So it was all about, if you don't know what the right answer is, don't say anything. Because he really wanted to drive home. If you don't know, then be quiet. If you don't have the truth, don't fudge. Don't guess. Don't make it up. That is far, far worse. Far better to say, I don't know, than to pretend you do know and give the right answer. That should be our approach to the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. Uh, teach us your truth. Help us to stand for your truth and to be willing to content ourselves with the truth that you've revealed in the Word of God. 
May we not go to any other source. May we not become syncretistic. May we not try to gather truth from all over the ends of the earth. But Lord, uh, content ourselves with the truth revealed in your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank